What's up? This is Citizen the Pod. It's your girl, Kina Zontel. I'm hoping all the voters, citizens, patriots out there are having a good day. I haven't recorded an intro in a long time, but here I am because I told everyone on social media that I would be endorsing three candidates for the New York State primary tomorrow. So here goes. So for governor, I would like to endorse Cynthia Nixon. As you guys know, I am tired of politics as usual. I am tired of politicians doing what's politically expedient for them in order to stay in office. I mean, she's progressive. We need a fresh face. So why not? I'm going to go ahead and give my support to Miss Nixon, aka Miranda Hobbs from Sex in the City, and go to my social media at the surge 2018 because there's a little blurb on why she wants to legalize marijuana in new york state secondly i'd like to endorse endorse jumani williams for lieutenant governor he's an activist he's a fighter and i think he has the energy we need in albany to create some real change for progressives and for new yorkers who who want this state to go in a different direction Last but certainly not least, I would like to endorse Letitia James for Lieutenant Governor. She has an impressive resume. She's currently the New York City public advocate, and she's already fighting against, you know, the mayor's office and New York City politicians, and she's got it in her to give us something great at New York State. So I am going to throw my support behind Tish James. So again, thank you guys for listening to the podcast Again, you can find us everywhere you can listen to a podcast. I hope that you will all talk to me and leave me messages and questions at the Surge 2018 on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at Citizen the Pod. So I'm hoping to hear from all of you guys all the time. If you're headed down south, remember, if you live in hurricane zone, please be careful. I'm definitely sending prayers and my thoughts to those folks down in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. So stay safe down there. Everyone who's taking that troop to D.C. this weekend, turn up at Congressional Black Caucus. It's a popping weekend, certainly educational, and there's definitely things that will motivate you guys to get involved and to get inspired. So again, thank you for listening to Citizen The Pod. The second part of this episode starts right now. Welcome back, folks. It's Kina Zontel, your host. This is Citizen the Pod. I'm hoping all of you are doing well. I'm so excited to have this discussion with my friend. I've got a real educated homie on the line to discuss education. It's not one of those major plaguing issues right now because everyone's just trying to figure out whether or not our president is going to get indicted for a crime or some of some sort soon. But it's an it's an important one. I want my listeners to stay engaged. So without further ado, let me introduce my homie, Jamal. What's up, Jamal? What's going on, Kina? Nothing much. Just trying to get some knowledge out to the people. Hopefully millennials are listening to this so that we can get some things done. I mean, the world is crazy right now, don't you think? It's wild. Definitely wild. But I am firmly... Uh, committed to making it better. And I know that there are other folks like us who are just as committed. Maybe they haven't found their lane per se, but uh, I trust that everybody will and that everybody will have the things that they need in order 
to make the change they want to see. I mean, that's kind of what education is all about, right? Right, exactly. And let's hop into this storyline. So right now, in education, there are a lot of different things happening across the country. Uh, Our current Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, is a really um, supporter of charter schools and basically privatizing our education system. You know, a lot of people complained about her even getting a nomination because it was clear that she was also an extremely wealthy donor, Republican Party donor. And that seems to be the reason why she was really tapped to, you know, take on such a critical role. Like in order for communities of color, poor people to really climb out of that, it's through education. And we and on another level, like the middle class, upper wealthy people, poor people, when it comes to your children, we all have one thing in common. And we all and that's we all want to see them do well. And when we aren't providing adequate education on all levels, we realize that there are still it's still a system where a chosen few get to live well and the rest of us are really stuck in the dirt. I mean, do you agree with me there? Yeah, I definitely think that education is absolutely uh, the one of the primary indicators of one's social mobility, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about how education should be the tool that allows all people to thrive, be successful, whether it is vocationally, economically, socially. Yes, there, we have to acknowledge that there are some gross inequities looking at our public education system. And mm-hmm. it is unfortunate that uh, Secretary DeVos has been uh, one to cater more toward private interest than public need. Right. Um, and I think that uh, you know, as we you know, hopefully talk through what might be some of the ways that folks who see this system may want to get involved, plug plugged in, uh, and make some sort of change there. Like, I definitely think that there are some routes and opportunities for folks to do just that. Right, and I, you know, I think that we we've got to definitely keep our eye on what's going on. Uh, recently, it was, you know it was talked about in the media that she was considering putting funding, you know, federal funding towards buying guns for school teachers. Yet, you know, we've got teacher walkouts in Arizona, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Colorado, because they're not given the tools they need to be effective teachers. I mean, they're not getting money for supplies. And then on top of that, they're working over 40, 40 hours a week and not even getting paid adequately. I mean, the our budget is a reflection of our priorities mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if I've even I've said that on this show before but you know you you say you care about the poor you say you care about children you say you care about education but we underfund those things just by so much especially in comparison to you know our defense budget or you know just other pork barrel kind of projects that are going on. I mean, we probably spend more money on Congress than we do and their salaries than we do on teachers. And our teachers need to get everything they can in order to thrive and survive. So in saying all of that, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the Detroit school system, which is similar to so many inner city school systems 
across this country. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, a group of students t- took the Detroit school system to court, and I want to say the state of Detroit, and basically said they were being denied access to literacy because of how underfunded the schools have been. And we've all, I, I'm hoping that everyone, you know, has seen the pictures of these schools that are just like falling apart, like, you know, mold. And, you know, we heard the, the Baltimore school district at one point didn't have heat for their mm-hmm. students. And like parents had to step in and football players are stepping in to, you know, send supplies and money to our public school system. Like where are our taxpayer dollars going? You know, where, where, where's our money going? Cause I know that we all think that, Hey, I pay taxes and our school district should get a certain amount of money. Where is it? That's a great question. And I think when you start to talk about resources, I think you're spot on. Like you look at a state or a city's budget and that will tell you what their priorities are. So if you look at a high level, you know, about 45% of education funding comes from of like local areas mm-hmm. uh, so whether that's property taxes okay. um, things of that nature another 45 comes from the state and then you get like 10 percent in federal money and that you know is a average across the country knowing that there are definitely some areas where those percentages are going to shift mm-hmm. but if we're going to hone in on you know that 45 percent we're saying about half of education funding is going to come from one's local environment, which means that if you are operating in or live in a community that is historically and systemically disenfranchised, you are just not going to have the same amount of money to put into your education system. Right. So when we're, so if we're talking about Detroit in particular, right, like a once a thriving, booming black city and black metropolis, Mm -hmm. uh, and we then kind of get into you know, the the housing segregation that's gone on in America, then kind of talking about uh, all of the disenfranchisement from the auto industry, then the housing collapse back in 2007, 2008, and you saw this mass exodus of folks leaving the city of Detroit. If you don't have residents, you don't have property tax dollars. Right. So, what was surprising in that case is that the the judge made the determination that education is not a constitutional right, Ooh. which, you know, as as an educator and someone who works with young people on a regular basis, like it seems unconscionable, right? Mm-hmm. Like how can someone make the determination that public education is not a right that should be that should be upholded? by the federal government. Right. Uh, and I think we're getting into a place where the narrative is just that those who have come from these communities who have managed to find significant financial success are then expected to bridge the gap between what we should expect our government to provide in terms of education and the actual needs of students and, and communities. And I think that that is, while I am thankful that those individuals who have the means are willing to step up in that way. I don't think that that is a sustainable way of making sure that all of our children have the things that they need to not only see a future, but make it happen for themselves. Right. 
So I just want to make sure, like, I, I'm getting this completely. And I'm, you know, I, it's like when they say, all right, I want to live in the zip code, like 90210. That's like okay. Beverly Hills. Because they have a lot of people making money in that zip code, therefore Beverly Hills High looks awesome. But then you have like Crenshaw, and we get the opposite. That's what that's what you're saying happens when it comes to just like disbursement of money. Do they right. get the same amount of federal money? Same federal money? No. It's going to also be determined by the uh, Department of Education. So, okay. in addition to the variety of different grants that folks can, that different school systems can apply to. Uh, those federal dollars are also going to look different. Mm -hmm. uh, but your, your point is pretty spot on. Like you think okay. if I live in an affluent community, that means that, that community is going to be able to collect more money in property taxes through local businesses, what have you, mm -hmm. that can then get spent per pupil. Okay. So you can, you can, you know, I'm from New York. Uh, you can, I, I'm from Queens originally. And you can say that they're the spending per pupil in Queens is significantly lower than the spending per pupil in Westchester County, New York, which is okay. just north of New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of that is because those communities have more money in them. Okay. Okay. Now, how does the charter school conversation like fit into this? Because, you know, a lot of, a lot, I hear a lot of activists say charter schools are really just taking money out of the public education system and they're not necessarily delivering better results for our kids. What do you think about that? I think the charter movement in its inception had a very wholesome intent, right? right? It, was, it was meant to be an opportunity where innovations in education could be cultivated and supported and then ultimately propagated into traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. However, what we've seen is if you think about, you know, your traditional public school uh, and versus a charter school, charter schools are sort of run like small nonprofit networks. Okay. So think of a school that can design its own curriculum to mm -hmm. be more reactive and responsive to the needs of students and families. Mm -hmm. However, the oversight of that particular charter may not necessarily come from uh, a municipal school board. Okay. So what you have is that you have a kind of group of individuals who may be well-intended, may even come from the educational space, overseeing and being in charge of the, the running and the education of you know, a group of students. And what a lot of folks who are staunchly against charter schools say is that, yes, what happens is, say I am a student, you know, I'm a seventh grader, and I'm looking at, you know, what school I want to go to, either the traditional public school in my neighborhood or a charter school. What happens is that if I am accepted into this charter school, then we can get into the conversation about how students and families are chosen to be in charter schools, even though they are technically public schools, mm -hmm. uh, the money that I would get from the state or the city will travel with me. Okay. 
So that money, so let's say we'll use easy numbers here. So let's say for every student, you know, you get $100 in funding. That $100 of Jamal funding is going to come with me, which means as more students choose to or are accepted into charter schools, you are taking other dollars away from those students who may not have the means or the access or, quite frankly, the luck to make it into a charter school. So what you're seeing is that there's this drain on the funding available for traditional public schools. So as those schools continue to struggle because they operate in disenfranchised communities and generally have less resources available to them, even just the removal of students mm -hmm. leads to not only taking away those dollars, but ultimately a lot of these public, traditional public schools are getting shut down because right. they just don't have the student body to maintain viability. So is this a part of the no child left behind? You know, I don't know how to explain it. Um, no child left behind idea that President Fort tried to put into place? The No Child Left Behind Act was more around uh, making sure that we kept standards remarkably high for okay. students and for teachers, which, mm -hmm. you know, agnostically is a great thing. We want to make mm -hmm. sure that expectations are high for young people and then support them in order to meet those expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the, the challenges that No Child Left Behind created is that some of these goals were for lack of a better term, problematic in terms okay. of the benchmarks that schools and school districts needed to meet. And as, as someone who has worked in schools but not been a formal teacher, it's hard for me to speak on that experience from my lens. Uh, I'm an individual that you know came through AmeriCorps programming, worked heavily in schools and looked at teachers and school districts as partners in the work of supporting all students and getting the things that they need. But when so much of the rating of what, what, what is quote unquote a good teacher comes down to assessments, standardized tests and grades, it can be very challenging to look at all the other ways and factors that go into making sure that a healthy supportive educational environment exists. Um, okay. So No Child Left Behind was really, was tied, was definitely tied to money. If you were able to meet these certain benchmarks, you were able to get this funding in order wow. to support those schools. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of controversy and conversation around whether or not those are the right metrics we need to be looking at. Wow. Okay. And I, I never knew that the metrics played a role and the amount of money your school district got. And I can already see that becoming an issue because it's like one day, you can't take a failing school from, from a school from failing to adequate overnight. Like it's right. not gonna happen in a year. And to penalize the students for a hundred years of, you know, a faulty education system. And then also, you know, add in the added layer of like the teachers union. Um, I, I just, and, and the way that they operate, I just see that as being 
an issue. I, you know, at first it did sound good, like it sounds great, but I totally get and understand how it could take a turn for the worse because, you know, we we can't do this thing overnight. We we definitely can't fix issues in education overnight. Right. This is a. These are systemic issues that were that were somewhat intentionally created because of other issues. Uh, there's a, a podcast I listen to on a regular basis uh, called Co-Switch from NPR. Uh, okay. And one of their hosts, uh, Gene Denby, always talks about how if you're looking at anything regarding racial justice in America, it eventually will make its way back to housing segregation. And right. public education is, the, is absolutely one of those factors. Um, well, okay. Well, you know, our 45, you know, I I refuse to call him president. I just call him by his number. Um, (laughs) He decided to get on Twitter not too long ago and come for LeBron James. Um, And it happened at a time where he's doing something positive and opening up his I Promise school. You know, as I know you're a big sports fan. I know you love basketball. I mean, how do you feel about how do you feel about LeBron these days? I mean, he's definitely a beacon of hope for young people all across this country and, you know, people in our age cohort who are out here trying to figure out, hey, how can I be a part of this education conversation? What can I do to bring, you know, to move our community and in a positive direction, you know, how do you feel about LeBron and what he's doing in Ohio? I mean, LeBron James right now is the GOAT. Like, people can come at me <laughs> if they want to. There's <laughs> there's absolutely no denying it. Um, right. And we can get into the back another time. But <laughs> right. for right now, like, I remember where I, w- I remember where I was when I heard about kind of the first day of his I Promise School. And the mm-hmm. first thing I thought of was like, okay, LeBron James has used his wealth and his influence and his foundation to start a charter school. So I immediately had like the antenna up, like, okay, like this is, this is nothing new. We have, there's a blueprint of other luminaries, athletes wanting to invest in education and doing so through the lens of opening charter schools. Uh, but when I read that the I Promise School was a traditional public school, right. it completely floored me. And I was like, yeah. okay, this is, this could be a real paradigm shift um, for two reasons. One, having it be a traditional public school means that the oversight of that school is going to come down to the citizens that live there, which means awesome. that community members who are sending their children to the school are going to be the ones that dictate where it needs to go and making sure that they're holding elected officials accountable to ensuring that that happens. Uh, Two is that it required the LeBron James Family Foundation to do this in as collaborative a way as possible. Uh, You know, when I was reading up on kind of how the school got started, uh, LeBron James Family Foundation intentionally sought out educators in the Akron public school area and um, from other places in Ohio, recognizing the importance of making sure that the right people were at the table to inform how you go about building a holistic public school. Um, And then 
you look at all the opportunities and amenities that come with being a student here. First, um, they're focusing on students who are, uh, I don't want to say failed out. Uh, I don't like the term, I don't like categorizing students as dropouts. Uh, they are okay. students who drop out. We need to be mindful that there are, they are humans and they are people who have to negotiate the circumstances that life throws at them. But right. these are, these are the students who were not as successful in traditional public schools. So in this school, students are getting free uniforms. They get a free bicycle and a helmet, which as a kid from Queens, like, my bicycle was the way I got around town. And when yeah. you are a young person, you have the opportunity to move from place to place without necessarily worrying about a car or worrying about having to walk somewhere. That's a huge, huge benefit. Um, right. And those students who do live at least two miles away from the school get free transportation. There's free food, breakfast, lunch, and snacks. Like a lot right. of times when we talk about free and reduced lunches, we talk about the importance of those two square meals that they get throughout the course of the day. But like nine-year-olds, they need to be grubbing. So those snacks are, are super important. Mm -hmm. But then you think about the wraparound services, right? So, you know, in my role now, uh, I work as a school support coach, uh, which okay. means that I work with schools, uh, youth programs to assess kind of the, the social and emotional needs of their students and then work with those different entities to provide opportunities and maybe build new practices to better meet those social emotional needs of their young people. And you know, from my background in psychology, it's those mm -hmm. wraparound services that really make a difference for young people. Because yeah. if, if I'm coming to school hungry, if I'm coming to school with a significant amount of stress uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to learn. Right. So LeBron School, the I Promise School, is also providing food pantries for families, uh, working with parents. So if they need to earn their GEDs or they need assistance in job placement, that's, that's being offered as well. And then the guaranteed tuition to every student who graduates to the University of Akron, a decorated public institution of higher learning, is only going to help bridge those gaps that our public education system often creates and our students fall into. So um, if you ask me, like, if I had a chance to dap up LeBron, I would absolutely do so. Not yeah. only because of his basketball acumen, but also because what he's doing can really change the game and how folks on the periphery of education can provide sustainable change in that field. So instead of making creating a school to as a money grab honestly you know as as a big business as a corporation just to try to you know i don't know move money he decided to do it the right way absolutely like and I, and I think and i am optimistic that others will look at this as a viable way you know, it's still a shorter-term solution. Short-term solution is the wrong term. I think it's a, a Band-Aid solution. What okay. we need to be making sure is that we are creating opportunities for all public institutions to provide the same resources that students at the I Promise School are getting. However, okay. what 
what LeBron and, and those who are working at that school are doing is nothing short than revolutionary. And oh. I am incredibly excited to see how this first year goes. Uh, I know just as, you know, an educator, like I'm super gassed just to like mm -hmm. watch and learn. And uh, I'm excited to also see how, how these students move kind of throughout the rest of their educational experience as well. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for, you know, just laying it on, man. You know, you know, your shit, bro. <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learner and a leader. So while like there are some things I know really well, I'm always looking to enhance my knowledge. And when it comes to this education stuff, that's the way it's got to be because the terrain shifts and the needs mm -hmm. of our students also shift. So we have to be as responsive as possible. Yeah. You mentioned AmeriCorps. How can young people chime in to the education conversation? I mean, are, are there websites? Are there nonprofit organizations they can look at, look into to possibly figure out how they can, how can they make a difference in education? Absolutely. Uh, three things I will bring up. One is AmeriCorps programs. Uh, so for those of y'all listening who are, have a passion for public service, uh, are interested in really investing in a local community and doing some really hard work for a year that's gonna pay you off with not only educational benefits, but also an amazing experience that can help shape the way you move through the world as a young adult. Uh, I highly recommend going to the AmeriCorps website, looking at a program and maybe doing a year or two of service. Um, it was, I did it right out of college and it was the lens that gave me an opportunity to not only discover what my passion was, but learn how to put it into practice. Uh, so if you're thinking like, I wanna get involved in education, but I don't know the right space, that's fine. AmeriCorps.gov is a place where you can go to look at dozens of different AmeriCorps programs that can provide you the opportunity and the perspective you may need to find your lane within this. Uh, two, uh, I know, you know the name of this podcast is Citizen the Pod, which means that we need to be active citizens, which means you need to look at a local level. You know, if education is something that you are passionate about, like I said earlier, read up, do your research, learn as much as you can about how the public education system works in your neck of the woods, and then consider running for school board if that is an option in your area. Uh, I think yeah. the, the more young people or uh, the more millennials that we have thinking about investing and committing to the policy side of education, where they're able to bring their perspective, bring their energy, their exuberance, but also bring that no nonsense. Like we don't need to do things the way we've done them before. Yeah. If it's not meeting the needs of our young people, need that kind of energy. So if there are openings uh, in this current election cycle, I know it's late in the game, but if you wanted to jump in, I would highly encourage you to do so or start to research who those candidates are. Find out who those people are on your local school board and get to know them and make sure that they know you as well. Uh, and then third, I always say if a full year of service is not your bag, volunteer. There are mm -hmm. tutoring programs, there are mentoring programs, there are ways in which you can put yourself in the social circle of a young person and help them 
discover things about this world that they may not have been hit to. Uh, I remember when I was 12 years old, it was that moment where I had mentors and you know, old heads in my community that were looking out for me that hit me to things that I could not think about and had no concept of. So I, it's my duty to do that now as someone who's a bit more aged in this life game. So mm -hmm. I would encourage folks to do the same. And it doesn't take much. There are tons of different mentoring programs, uh, both at a national and at a local level that folks can get plugged into. Uh, I'm happy to share those uh, you know, through my, my Twitter account. Uh, mm -hmm. But also just think about those small connections. Think about all the places you occupy where there are young yes. people and be intentional about building relationships and connections to them because mm -hmm. you never know. The conversation that you have with a nine-year-old can completely change the way that they look at their world. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to add a number four so my listeners know how I roll. Number four, vote. Absolutely. Vote for, vote for school board representatives that are going to do everything Jamal just said. So if you're not registered to vote, if your tribe is not registered to vote, you already know what I'm calling you to do. Get on it. Get okay? on it. It takes you two seconds to get your, you know, to have them sign that application to register to vote. Okay? Two seconds. I mean, so there are so many ways to get engaged, so many ways to be a part of this conversation. We just outlined four for you, like four ways. Like I, some, a lot of my, lead, my listeners go to church. Talk to the kids at church. Talk to talk to the kids in your own family. Talk, you know, you've got coworkers who, you know, y'all talk about life all day. If someone has a young kid that they're having issues with and can't connect to, you might be the person to do it. So, like I, like we mentioned already on the show, there are four different ways for you to get in this conversation. So there's no reason for you not to be a learner and a leader, folks. No way. So Jamal, how can the people find you? and hear more about what you're doing. And also, let them know, like, your job title and, like, everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, as a professional, uh, I work at the, the PEAR Institute, which stands for Programs in Education and Resiliency. And I serve, uh, as I said earlier, as a school support coach, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a youth development consultant. And I focus on social-emotional learning. Uh, so when we think about education, we think about those academic needs that students have, but we also need to consider uh, the behavioral, the social, the mindful needs that they also, that also need to be met as well. So my job is uh, helping folks identify what those needs are for their young people and then working through what might be some policies, procedures, beliefs that need to be shifted or created in order to best meet those needs. Uh, and if folks want to you know, holler at me, I'm all about talking about education, all about talking about youth development. That is, that's kind of my bag. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I can, I can flax poetic about basketball for days on end. So <laughs> if you ever want to find me out into the internets, uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Jamal Speaking. That's J-A-M-A-A-L Speaking. Two A's at the end, three A's total. And it's the same on uh, on Instagram as well. All right, folks. Well, you know how to reach Jamal. You should know already how to reach me. Okay, <laughs> I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram at the Surge 2018. I mean, if we can send men to war, we can send them to vote. I mean, it's just that easy. 
Um, you can also find me at Citizen the Pod on Twitter. So I want to thank everyone who's listened to all of my episodes so far. You can find me on Anchor and on like every single platform you can find a podcast. I want to thank Jamal for taking the time out to be on the show. I really appreciate you. Thank you for the invite. I'm happy to do it. No problem. You're going to be like my education czar. I mean, that's (laughs) like right up there. I mean, come on. My education secretary. I'm going to need to hit these books and more then. Okay, good. Good, good. Me too. Me too. I've learned a lot. Again, I want to thank the listeners and this was Citizen the Pod.